Hi there, my name is Brandon Boat, and you're listening to the Theater of Public Policy podcast. This episode comes from a live show we did on November 5th about the University of Minnesota's search for a new president. Current president Eric Kaler will resign this summer after eight years in the role. We recorded this podcast before they selected the new president, Joanne Gable, who will take over in July. So, you get to listen to this with some dramatic irony. Even though the president has already been chosen, I think there's something valuable in listening to their process. We had two guests, Matt Kramer, the vice president of university relations at the University of Minnesota, and our other guest was Abdul Omari, a regent and chair of the Presidential Search Advisory Committee of the University of Minnesota. Our media sponsor for this season was MinPost, which provides reader-supported news and analysis. You can find out more information at MinPost.com. I I'm, I really am grateful. I, I'm always very flattered and grateful when people who have much better things to do agree to join us on the show. So thank you both. <laughs> that is tonight in spades. So uh, let me just ask this uh, sort of as an opening gambit question of just uh, we're going to talk about what the actual search for a new university president looks like. But I don't even know where to begin because I don't know what a university president does. Based on some quick Google searches, I assume he helps students on the first day of school unload their cars, and then uh, he poses with a stuffed gopher every once in a while, and he looks unhappy at the legislature. But other than that, uh, I don't know what his actual job is. You want to start, or you want me uh, to start? Regent, you take first. I'll, just, I'll say, first of all, those are all true. Um, but, uh, no, the, the president is in charge of, of driving the university forward and, uh, presenting a budget to, to the regents that then approve it, uh, putting together strategic vision for the university to make sure that, uh, we're driving in the right direction, um, and, uh, taking care of, uh, the public relations side when, when Matt is giving advice on, on that end, um, and, and, and driving us, uh, from research to athletics to, the five campuses, one thing that's very important is that we have five campuses across the state, and the president is uh, the manager of all of that. And, Regional Mari, I would add uh, two things. You would expect a president to do. One, uh, the University of Minnesota is 26,000 employees. It is the sixth largest employer in the state. So the, the president has a lot of day-to-day duties just managing a 26,000-person enterprise that, as Regional Mari noted, five different campuses, a presence in every county in the state. Um, second... The president, he or she, must be extraordinarily capable of walking up to strangers and saying, do you love the University of Minnesota, and would you like to write us a very large check? (laughs) And that goes on a huge amount of the time. And if you're an alumni, you know, because you're asked regularly. But the university is in the midst of a $4 billion campaign for our endowment, an endowment that's there in perpetuity. Its interest every year goes to scholarships, research, operations across the university, and the president is the figurehead of going around talking to people for exactly that reason, asking them for a check. So I, I, th- that's very helpful. I want to dig in on that a little bit more, which is uh, all the things we've noted, I, I think, are, are pieces folks can imagine maybe um, in the abstract. But what does it actually look like when the president wakes up in the morning and goes into the office or the phone rings? Like, what is that actually? Is there just sort of like a stack of like, oh, here are some people that are going to be walking by your street today. Like, get ready to accost them. Or I, or in terms of the strategy piece, is it like, hey, president, we need some ideas. Like, we're sitting over here. We need, what's, what's next? And they, they come to you with a PowerPoint? Uh, there are a lot of PowerPoints, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but 
you know, I, I would say if you really want the day to day, I mean, the, the first thing uh, I would imagine President Kaler does when he wakes up is make sure there's no crises that need to be taken care of. Um, so check in to see what's on the Star Tribune uh, or the Minnesota Daily as soon as you laugh, not me, mm. uh, <laughs> as soon as uh, uh, he wakes up. And then, um, you know, depending on the week, he might be spending several days out, out west, like, like Matt said, fundraising for the institution, or he might be spending his entire week preparing for a Board of Regents meeting um, or, or, you know, visioning sessions or going up to Crookston and, and spending uh, some time there. Uh, I would say it varies day to day, and you got to be flexible and agile, uh, and be able to to have that strategic vision and deliver it. And any on any given day, so five campuses, but the Twin Cities campus, <clears throat> students, faculty, and patients in our hospital complex. We have a daily census of over a hundred thousand people. So you hmm. think of any town in Minnesota with a hundred thousand people. Um, two of those people are in jail, and three of them should be. And the, the president is dealing with that every single day, seven days a week. And then, of course, throw in, go for football. And need I say more? Yeah. Probably. But uh, so... <laughs> uh, okay, so, so your President Kaler has announced that he is going to retire at the end of uh, this year. And so you all are leading, helping lead the search uh, to make a recommendation of who that next president should be. And I'm, how did that just, I, again, sort of breaking it down to the basic level, is it just you, like, went on Monster and, like, posted it? Or uh, is it, is it, do you, how, how does that actually work? So it's, it's, a, it's a very uh, a long and, and um, thought out, well thought out process. So the first thing uh, is the, the chair and vice chair of the Board of Regents. There's 12 of us who are elected members of the Board of Regents. They determine who was going to be or who to ask to chair the committee. Uh, and that turned out to be me. Um, and I, I said yes. Uh, <laughs> don't know if I would ever say yes again. <clears throat> but it's been, it's been rewarding. And so uh, we hired a search firm uh, that, that this is where they operate. The space that they operate in is, is primarily finding university presidents. Uh, we uh, put out a call for nominations for members to be on the, the committee, and there were 500 nominations uh, for a 23-person committee. So we had to uh, winnow that down a little bit. So you had to – it was a process to figure out the people who are going to figure out the process for the process of electing the next president. And, and that sounds – yes, that's correct. It sounds very academic. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> But when you think about it, right, he said 87 counties, we touch every county, and we have stakeholders that, you know, from every uh, uh, body of people in the state, so we have to have representation mm -hmm. uh, from, from all of those areas. And so from there, we set out and did listening sessions across the whole state, uh, all five campuses, um, and then we developed a, a profile. And so from once that happens, our version of monster.com is uh, sending out that position profile across the higher ed networks and... Um, took nominations for candidates, and we announced, uh, I think on Friday or maybe even uh, yesterday, that we had uh, over 60 applicants for uh, the presidency, which might not seem like a lot, but it is. Seems um, like a lot. Like, because it it's, is. I mean, how, there's not, it's, it's one of a very sort of few number of jobs quite like that, so it does seem... That seems like a lot to me. Correct. It is a lot. And we're, we're very happy about that. A lot of people want to be the president of the University of Minnesota. Can I, I have a couple of follow-ups to this. Why? Why? Why does somebody want to be president of the University of Minnesota? Uh, so wait, I, I actually, one of the former presidents actually was quoted as saying, this isn't a fun job, uh, but it's an important job. But I'm just, I, you know, I can think of a lot of things that, uh, 
folks might say, I would rather uh, spend my time doing this than being pre- – so why, I guess, is just – I won't even fill in the blank for them. Why do people want to do this? Well, I mean, I, there's a lot of reasons. Uh, uh, one, if it, particularly if you're an academic, um, you know, the, the penultimate of, of being an academic is being the president of a, a large institution such as the University of Minnesota. Um, so I think for a lot of people who want to go in that direction – uh, this is the the top of the the mountain, if you will. If you think about it in terms of athletics, right? Every little kid playing uh, basketball dreams of being a university to... president someday uh... <laughs> <laughs> wants to be a pro, uh, and so this would be uh, the equivalent of that. And then for those who may not be academics, I think for them, it's it's they look at the value of of education and particularly higher education and um, want to find ways to uh, give back in a way that, that they probably were impacted by their higher education experience. Yeah, and I'd add on that, the, if you walk into your doctor's office or you go, you pick up a prescription tonight on the way home, look on the wall. 70% of the healthcare professionals in the state of Minnesota have a U of M degree on their, on their wall. And so the president of the University of Minnesota is intricately tied to the economy of the state of Minnesota. Without the University of Minnesota, there'd be no pharmacist degrees, no medical degrees other than Mayo's in-house. Uh, we're the only veterinary school in the state of Minnesota, and you go on and on with the impact that we have in every industrial sector. So whether it's finance, whether it's agriculture, it's the University of Minnesota, and I'm, you know, we're parochial, but we're leading the way. Every year, the university brings in over $900 million in competitive, primarily federal, grants that we don't get. We win on the basis of the strength of our research. And the president is the person who sets that agenda. Go out and win those grants in specific disciplines and bring them back to the state. So on the piece of the the search committee, I don't know if this is awkward, but you all actually broke up with your first search committee, <laughs> right? Like, or sorry, the first uh, folks who were hired to run that search, you all you all had a mutual decoupling. Yeah, I mean, we 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 politely, in a Minnesota way, told them that they were no longer our search firm. Why? Because they they took uh, they accepted and bid for the Michigan State search. <gasps> which obviously is a direct competitor of ours. And so we said, feel free and, or, you know, good luck. And then uh, within a day, we had uh, AGB search. Did you try, because it's, it's, it seems like a breakup. Uh, so did you try just do, doing like a, you have to choose, it's Michigan or us? Um, no, we did not do that. You were just like, no, we're better than this. If you're going to play around, then we are, <laughs> we, we think more of ourselves than that. I mean, yeah, I, 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 you could equate it to getting cheated on. I yeah. mean, and then we said, no, we're, we're not going to reconcile. Way to stand up for yourself. Good. Um, <laughs> that's good. Um, so, but, okay, so you get 60, you have 60 uh, folks now. Are they all, like, by the time you get 60 applicants, because you actually are, you, we were talking downstairs, you get the resumes, and you're, like, looking through these. Are they all, like, oh, yeah, any of these people really could be a university president? <laughs> no. The radio audience can't hear. Uh, <laughs> no. The look of skepticism. They, yeah. they all, uh, it, from what we developed, this is not my call. But from listening to folks and identifying the qualifications, characteristics, and the things that they think we need in the next president, uh, not all of them are qualified to be the 17th president of the University of Minnesota. So, how, so talk me through then. Uh, what do you? You're reading the resumes. You're helping with. Uh, what do you actually do then from here? You just is the you know do you read through them and write back? Do you uh, do you? 
talk to them? I, I'm just honestly curious. Yeah. So uh, we we have a process that the the committee follows that everyone on the committee, all 23 of us, uh, review the 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 resumes, the curriculum vitas, and um, uh, their letters of interest that range from one page to 12 pages. Uh, the resumes range from one page to I think the biggest one we saw was 73 pages. Um, which Did you just tell him like nope, too much? <laughs> I'm not even going to read this because it's too many. Well, the thing you got to know about academics is they like to go all the way back to when they were still in college, and every accolade that they ever had or accolade that they think is an accolade, uh, they keep on that curriculum vitae and just keep adding to it. I think there might be some academics in the room choking at that. <laughs> um, and so from there, the committee um, you know gets together and, and talks through the applicants and decides. Uh, how many people we want to bring in for interviews and, and has a very um, uh, thought-out kind of democratic process for who should uh, be interviewed. So, uh, Mr. Kramer, I want to... So, we've talked a little bit about this already, but what are the, like, things that you and the regents are looking for? What should we as Minnesotans be looking for in the next university president? Is it somebody who can, um, you know, you know, put a cup out at the corner uh, for it's, like grants and can twist elbows at the legislature or what what are the job qualifications that make somebody good at this job you know first and foremost it has to be somebody who this is their passion this isn't truly and you you think I'm exaggerating this isn't a eight to five Monday through Friday job this is seven days a week um, I can't tell you the number of times I've called President Kaler at 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. And the obligation is you can't go to an answering machine. You have to take the call. Because if I'm calling, it's important enough that I expect you to answer. And that sort of passion needs to show through in everything the person brings to the job. I'm, I'm really sincere when I say one of the challenges in this country is we're all second-guessing the value of higher education. Is it really important? Oh, student debt. Maybe this shouldn't be the right fit. You know what? Without higher education, we wouldn't be the per capita largest Fortune 500 concentration in the United States. Those companies are... You were about to get applause, but well, uh, yeah. <laughs> take still, the applause when you can get it, I've learned. I, um, those, those companies, we're, we're their supplier. Our raw material is an 18-year-old kid, and four years later, they're baccalaureate trained and they're going into the workforce, or they're masters, or they're a PhD scientist in STEM disciplines or whatever. And that's what we do. We're generating that vendor product, really skilled workforce that is going in and accelerating Minnesota. So passion for the job is important. I mean, again, though, like what are the actual skills that because I know a lot of people who are really passionate about mm -hmm. things they're not very good at. And so <laughs> what what could else? You, could you point some of them out? I'm on stage. Uh, <laughs> No, the, uh, the, the person has to be, um, in the best sense of the word, a really good leader. Because you have 26,000 people at the U of M, but when the paper wants to talk to somebody, you know, I get thrown up for, as a sacrificial lamb quite often, but they want to talk to the boss. Let's hear what the president of the University of Minnesota has to say. Or I'll, you know, if you, if you did happen to watch the football game on Saturday, you will be amazed. I know there were, there were groans in the audience. Um, you'll be amazed at how many people decided that rather than addressing their comment to Coach Fleck or Athletic Director Coyle, they thought the president should know that the defensive flexing was really poor. And so the, the president of the University of Minnesota is our top athletic person. Essentially, he or she is the top everything. 
And so the ability to stand in front of a group and not only be passionate, but be smart enough to say, yeah, they, they should have gone to a 3-4 uh, press defense there. I mean, honest to God, and Regional Mari, jump in, but I think you get your share. There's no shortage of questions on hockey, basketball, and football, and the other 16 sports that we have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got to be able to do all that because it's a vast university with, with departments and, and research happening and athletics and uh, the medical school and the humanities and you name it. So yeah. uh, the president has to be able to speak to all those things. I say, you know, coming back to your question, you know, what are we looking for? And, and you know, what we heard is someone who uh, is a visionary and bold, um, who can uh, inspire people, who's innovative, uh, and who can collaborate and, and build together uh, collaboration across the entire institution in the state. Uh, a few more questions, and I should preface, uh, we are going to open it up for you all to ask questions of our two guests in the second half of the show. One of the questions we actually got online before we, put, uh, we, before we started the show, which somebody was just asking, does it matter, uh, all the presidents of the University of Minnesota so far have been old white dudes, so does, it, does that matter? Is that something that you think about, that, uh, that there's a value potentially in having somebody who's not a white man as the president someday. President Kerry was young when he got there. He was like 56. <laughs> the job ages him terribly. <laughs> yeah. But actually for... Well, I wasn't going yeah, to build on that one. Yeah. But actually for a president, he was really young at 56, yeah. uh, especially uh, of the caliber of the University of Minnesota. Um, I think overwhelmingly people have said, you know, can you cast uh, the net wide enough and, and get candidates that are not uh, the stereotypical older, more seasoned, yeah, veteran. Uh, white man. Um, and I'd say that, that we've done absolutely that, and we've been committed to looking far and wide. And um, of the pool that we've received, I'm very confident that uh, it represents the students uh, of the University of Minnesota. And to go deeper into your question, re representation matters, and people want to see themselves in their leaders. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you, if you look right now in, in the president's room at the student union, all 16 presidents are, are white men. Um, and so we'll see what the end results bring. I know that there's uh, talented folks in our pool that come from uh, multiple walks of life, and I'm excited about that. Another question that came up, uh, and this was actually brought up in uh, a Star Tribune article, is are you guys doing this too fast? Like uh, there, there was, there's been some pushback that maybe like this search process is going is is at a rapid pace that it's faster than the process that uh, hired President Kaler x number there, of years ago. So there, there's an analogy we're all very familiar with, and it's called the Three Little Bears. Only one bowl of oatmeal is the right temperature, and half the people are going to say we were going too fast. Half the people are going to say we we're going too too slow, and one person will say you're going at exactly the right pace. <laughs> we're and do they all get eaten at the end? Well, of that? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> No, I, I, you know, any sort of uh, criticism that you're going too fast is, uh, has an exact 180-degree alternative universe where somebody says you're going too slow. There are, right now, in the U.S., there's a university ranking called R1. We're a top-tier research institution in North America. There are 16 R1 jobs open right now, this very moment, in the United States and in Canada. Um, there's a limited pool. There's 60 in this group. But I bet of those 60, some of those 60 have applied to other R1s. And you can wait, and you can wait, and you can wait, or you can go out and find the best person right now. I, so 
when what is the timeline? What when do we want to actually have somebody hired by? So we we plan to make an announcement by December thirty first. Who will be the seventeenth president year? of the University of Minnesota? You want twenty twenty? Yeah, I, well, yes. I, there's a year in between there, 2018. 2018. Yes. So wait a second. Does that mean that we will have two university presidents at the same time this spring? So what typically happens, as was the case when uh, President Kaler was hired, his announcement came out, I think, in actually November. He didn't start on the job until July 1, because that's the end of the – when they we switch over um, in July. So typically – the academic year. So typically we wait until July 1, and so the president will – uh, assist in the, the transition. The other president will wrap up the things that that president needs to do at their institution and move and, and kind of transition into the role and then start July 1st. So, uh, I mean, one of the que- July 1st, so I, I, this is a question partially uh, mm-hmm. for both of you, but uh, one of the president's jobs is to go to the legislature and to, you know, advocate for funding for the University mm-hmm. of Minnesota and whatnot. Is that complicated at all by the idea that you have, like, a, out, a lame duck president and an incoming president? No, it's, it's complicated by whatever happens tomorrow. And so once, oh. once well... Once we know the legislative makeup, we have a strategy. The Board of Regents has uh, voted on the, the process by which we're going to take forward a bu- an initial budget request to the state of Minnesota, to all of us as taxpayers. We may have to adjust that a little bit, depending on what happens tomorrow. But What do you want to happen tomorrow? I want the commercials to end. Yes. So, yeah. That's yeah. good. That's a smart answer. I... Uh, I I, I wouldn't ask you, Teen, to, to do your own impersonation, but I've been putting it on mute and then doing my own voiceovers <laughs> like, you know, this person sacrifices puppies to a pagan god. No, it's, uh, no we're, we're really satisfied. The state of Minnesota is extraordinarily generous to higher education. Uh, the challenge we all have is higher education is being squeezed out by health care. So the university's budget as a percentage of state funding um, back in 2008, it flip-flopped. It used to be more state money than tuition dollars. Now it is markedly more tuition than state dollars. About 18% of our $4 billion a year operating budget comes from the state of Minnesota. And that's been going down for 30 years. It's not one party or another. Uh, so, uh, I just last questions here, which is, um, you started to allude to this, but what, what are the big things that this next president sort of needs to be thinking about or will have to tackle, right? Like they, they come on the job, uh, you know, they get the job in January and then they're starting to think over the spring, like getting started in July. Like what are the, what are the pieces that President Kaler is going to be like, ooh, here you go. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, <laughs> well, well, some of those we don't know yet uh, because it is uh, – it's fluid. Uh, but I'd say one is uh, innovation in, in revenue and budget um, so that it's not just about tuition. Um, uh, two is campus climate. Uh, that is a microcosm of the national uh, climate, mm-hmm. uh, free speech, uh, sexual assault, um, you know, the divisiveness uh, in the country and then on, on campuses. Um, the next president will have to uh, at least finish and solidify a strategic plan of, of what the future of, of our institution is going to look like. Um, we'll have to collaborate with the, the regents and the um, legislature and uh, other, other stakeholders across the state. Um, so those are four or five that you know I think uh, are definitely going to be there. Tuition is going to be inevitable. That's something mm-hmm. that we will always uh, be talking about. Um, yeah. I would add to that. That's a great list. Um, I would add demographics. Yeah, uh, the, you know, you hear the phrase "demographics is destiny." 
for the next six, seven, eight years, I think, we have this reduced number of 18-year-olds before the number starts climbing again. There's a lot of higher education institutions, so there's a lot of choices for people. We're competing for those 18-year-olds. And so we have to make the case to them, their parents, however they're going to make that decision, that the University of Minnesota is the right fit for them. So this president is going to have to spend a huge amount of time on admissions, admissions marketing, what makes the University of Minnesota special, unique, powerful for your career. And that includes all five campuses. It isn't just the Twin Cities. Maybe Morris is the best fit. Maybe Crookston, Rochester, Duluth. And I'd add to that as the number of 18-year-olds goes down, the number of 18-year-olds that are students of color goes up. Yeah. And so the yeah. demographic shift is not just about uh, the number of students graduating, but also what they actually look like. Exactly. So uh, as I promised, we are going to bring these two gentlemen back on stage in the second half of the show. But for right now, can you all help me in doing a tremendous thanks for both of them being up here? Yeah, uh, this is fantastic. We're going to go and sit. So if you have a question, please raise your hand, and, uh, and I will come towards you in a non-threatening manner, and I'll give you a sticker. <laughs> Unless you already have a whole bunch of stickers, but I'm going to keep giving you stickers because you ask good questions. So here you go. Uh-huh. You should ask a question first and that that person just said should ask a question. <laughs> yeah. okay. I actually have two questions. Um, my first one is if you have two candidates and they appear to be virtually both well qualified, but one is an old white man and the other is not, are you going to try to give preferential treatment to someone who's not an old white man? So there are 12 University of Minnesota regents, and uh, they collectively will have to decide who it's going to be. So I can't speak to say that, that they would give preferential treatment to the person who is not. Would you? <laughs> <laughs> Good job. What I would look for is who has more energy. So the person who has more energy, and that might mean someone who's a little less seasoned. Okay. Well, that kind of ties into my second question. So if you're interviewing someone and you want to find out if they're bold and innovative, what kinds of questions do you ask to find out if they're bold and innovative? Because you can't really say, are you bold and innovative? <laughs> it, it might start that way, uh, but, but it's all about the proof. I want to know what you've done at whatever organization you're, you're a part of. Um, and how you've uh, thought of something bold, how you've implemented something bold, and then how it turned out. And part of the reason why I say how did it turn out, which is very uh, neutral, is because sometimes bold and innovative fails. Um, And so we need to actually, I think, at least have an environment where we have a a calculated level of risk that uh, allows for for bold uh, uh, action and innovation that might lead to what people consider uh, failure. And then part of finding that out also is not just asking the candidates, it's actually about talking to uh, references. Okay, other questions. Uh, There was mumblings of a question over on this side, but oh, oh, uh, the whole back is full of questions. Very good. I'm going to, that's good. I can come up there. This is my steps for the day. All right, here we go. Hi, I really liked your answer to that question, and I'm just wondering, are you one of the 60? Negative. I am not. Are you sure? I'm positive. (laughs) All right. Just saying. I'm positive. Uh, And actually, I I even signed a a form that said I was not interested in the job. I don't have hair already, so I like my black beard. (laughs) I don't want it to go gray anytime soon. (laughs) Did you have a question? Sure. 
So you said the president takes a fair amount of heat when the football team is bad, which is always. Um, Not in 1960. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, Sandy Stevens. Do they? Does he take heat for other departments' failures? Do, does Does he get calls over uh, when the English department is uh, is sagging? When there's a bad opera? When uh, you know what? What? What's the level of of chaos that he has to deal with along those lines? You know, the best thing I can tell you is it's the the president deals with chaos all day long. And it, you know, the football is an easy thing to call out because it's very visible. There's a giant stadium. They play, you know, 12 games a year or whatever. The, it's the English department. It's the medical school. It's our individual campuses. It's science and engineering. It's every day, every department. And some days, some of them rise to the top. Other days, some of them are towards the bottom. But it is across the board because... When you think of controversy, controversy isn't winning or losing a football game. That's one, that's just an event in time. Controversy is medical research, it's agricultural research. You know, you look at your stickers when you swing by the grocery store, GMO, non-GMO. By single largest industrial sector, economic sector, Minnesota is still an agricultural state and the University of Minnesota is a key contributor to agriculture across the state. That means being involved in everything from water conservation on growing crops to how GMOs may or may not impact water consumption by plants. Some of those are extraordinarily very personal and passionately controversial to people. The president has to be that focal point. One of our audience members just asked Regional Mari if you are one of the candidates. Are you Matt Kramer? <laughs> I made the point to Regional Mari. I don't want to brag, but I'm top 1,500. So <laughs> I... I, I also made the point, I need a really bad flu season to move up. So. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> Hello. Um, I'm wondering, given what you have said about demographics of the state, um, the student loan debt crisis, and also the fact that cost of education is going up, how much of the next president's responsibility or job performance will be tied to finding innovative ways to fund that uh, university and also lowering education to make it more accessible to uh, the community here? I would say it'll be the, the top four things that the next president will have to, to address. Um, whether or not the president will be able to address it successfully is really what, what will matter, though. But I, it'll be top four. And I actually think that's going to be the case across higher ed. It's not unique to the University of Minnesota. Cost of education goes up. State funding goes down. Uh, and one of the major levers that folks have pulled on thus far uh, has been tuition. I'm wondering, of the 60 applicants, how many come from a non-academic background? And do you see that as a diversity factor when the great majority of previous presidents of this university and others come from academia? All of the presidents, as far as I know, of the University of Minnesota have been academics. Um, there is, uh, I would say, uh, if I ha- and I don't, I don't know the exact number, and I don't know the exact number of the previous uh, presidents, but just as we have uh, been committed to looking far and wide from, like, physical diversifiers, we've also been committed to doing that uh, as far as their uh, career trajectory and backgrounds as well. Uh, and it's becoming a trend for higher education institutions to hire non-academics. A slow trend, very slow trend, very, very slow trend. But it is becoming more of a trend. And so we've been committed to doing that as well. What's the resistance to that? People don't like change. 
uh, and then I'm a Minnesotan, so I can say this. Uh, we really don't like change in Minnesota. Uh, and so uh, people are afraid that their worlds are going to be impacted if we go uh, in a different direction. In addition to that, uh, I think folks uh, who are in the academy um, are very worried by what Matt was talking about, which is the attack on higher education and the value of it. And so as people see some of the trends of non-traditional non-traditional candidates becoming presidents, uh, they are in many ways at least perceived to be attacking the fundamentals of higher education. And so folks are, are very worried about that. Okay. Yeah, I'm on the board for the University of Miami School of Medicine, and we got a new president a while, quite a while. She's now gone, Donna Shalala, who was outside of the norm, but just did a dramatic job of kicking the University of Miami School of Medicine up, 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 mm -hmm. and uh, there were very, very serious controversies when she began, but there were none when she was done. So it's a good thing to look outside of that academic. Now, of course, the next one was an academic. <laughs> no, no question, no sticker. All right. <laughs> well played. Yeah, so um, given the funding that most of the university's money is coming from tuition or a higher percentage than what's coming from the state. Um, why does the legislature still get to pick all the regents? Because they, they would be the ones to switch the constitution that says how the process is, uh, mm -hmm. is uh, determined, and I'd imagine that, that they don't want that power to be relinquished. That seemed like a very touchy question that I don't totally grasp. All right. Um. <laughs> I ask how many of the candidates are women and how many are people of color? You can ask, but I can't tell you. <laughs> Good answer. Uh, okay, all the way over on that side of the stage. First of all, Regent Omari, those socks are fabulous. Um, and this gentleman over here started to answer the question, but I would like to counter the question and ask, what is the advantage to hiring someone outside of the academic realm? Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you get someone coming into an environment that they're not used to, they have different ideas of how organizations would run, how they can run. I think they see they come from a fresh eyes and will literally say things like, um, that doesn't make much sense. Why do we do it that way? And if the answer is because that's how we've always done it, that's a problem. Um, I think they, they can uh, reignite folks and bring folks into the loop who perhaps have not been a part of higher education previously uh, because, you know, when they uh, see talent in a different way, um, I think that they must, even if they are uh, non-academics, they have to value, understand, and appreciate uh, what higher education is and does, uh, but yet can bring uh, a lot of fresh eyes and, I think, innovative uh, thinking about uh, higher education and education generally. So there's a lot of pros on, on both ends. Uh, okay, so a couple just wrap-up questions here that I, I wanted to get to. So uh, you've got the 60 applicants, that you and so you have to the, make a decision by December 31st. That's the, so what happens between now and then? Somebody before, when I announced that we were doing the show, they, they said, oh, are you going to ask them about the secret hotel room that the, they have to bring candidates in where they... <laughs> Is that a thing? You all are just sort of giggling as though you're hiding something. That sounds like a scary movie to me. Yeah. <laughs> the secret hotel room. The secret hotel room that everybody gets flown into. Is that? They fly it, into the room? What kind of a hotel is it? 
<laughs> Five star, one star. Um, so, so to answer the the original question, what happens now? So the the uh, twenty three person committee at some point in the future will interview candidates um, confidentially, uh, and then from there we will make a recommendation to the full. Uh, Board of Regents on uh, three to four lead candidates that we believe any one of them could uh, serve as the 17th president. Uh, and then the university uh, regents will then uh, look at the materials, uh, discuss them in a way that uh, would not identify who they are. And then once we get to the point of deciding who we want to interview uh, because of the, the state's open meeting laws, those names become public. And so what that looks like from here to there, there's some, some unknowns in there because um, I would imagine that most of you, if you were employed by one person or one company and you were going to try to find a new job, I'm stealing this from Matt, you would not tell your other job, hey, I'm going to look for new jobs. Um, so just wanted you to know. So what happens oftentimes, uh, and it's happened in the past, is we tell four candidates, hey, we want to interview all of you, and some of them might be sitting presidents or a sitting CEO or what have you, and they say, well, if you're going to make my name public and I'm not the only person, no thanks. And so they'll drop out because they know that if they go public, they will immediately be fired from their current job. Um, so that complicates things. Um, so we'll see how the end goes. Hopefully we have some folks that uh, are not worried about losing their jobs, but most likely uh, a lot of them will. And we, we hope to have uh, anywhere from two to four public candidates that the – state of Minnesota will be able to see and hear from, and then the, the regions will vote on the next president. Oh, my gosh. Can we get them on the show, both of them, <laughs> like the, the last two candidates? You can make that happen. I'll see what I can do, although for audience members who haven't come up the back stairs, there clearly is a height limit. Anybody over six feet is going to knock themselves unconscious on the ceiling. Yeah, so. well, we can work on it. Uh, so, uh, so I wanted to circle back to this piece because – uh, again, a big part of this job is sort of like telling the story of the University of Minnesota or whatnot. And so I, I guess there's a piece, we've talked a lot about diversity in a variety of ways. Is there a value to diversity of somebody having a connection here uh, in Minnesota? There's a huge advantage to having a Minnesota connection because you, you come with a built-in appreciation of the value of where we interconnect, whether it is the medical school, whether it is agriculture. But there also, and Regional Mari has touched on this, there's a tremendous value in coming in with a fresh perspective, whether it's a Donna Shalala or somebody who comes in and says, explain to me again why you're doing it that way because I don't see that. And that's a, it's valid. It doesn't have to be an academic. An academic brings a tremendous appreciation for who they are, how they came up in the ranks, and where higher education is today. But Regional Mari mentioned this at the beginning, and I think somebody asked the question, the mix between tuition, state support, and then our expense side is going to be one of those top issues that a new president is going to have to figure out because the mix is changing, no different than any other industry. We have t almost, I, I never get the exact number right, let's say, say it's either 29 million or I thought it was 24 million square feet of facilities across the state of Minnesota. We're a giant landowner. Do we need every one of those buildings? I wouldn't expect the new president to go around and say yes, 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 no, but I would expect the new president to say, look, we've got to change this story because if you were a homeowner and you had 29 million square feet worth of homeowners, that's a lot of leaking roofs and running toilets and everything else that comes with owning that much square feet. It's hugely expensive for us. And that, you know, you think of digital education, how students are learning, there's an opportunity to challenge that and maybe change the cost curve for us. So last two questions, which I'm hoping helps drive the 
home why we did this show and why this is important. I'm going to ask that the negative way first and then the positive way. What negative way? What happens if we end up with a terrible president? Like, what would, what is it, you know, what is the downside to ending up with just like, oh, in a year from now, everybody's like, oh, God. Go like, for football looks great. <laughs> I I see nothing but upside on this one. <laughs> I mean, so I I think um uh I'll come back to the the microcosm and I don't care what political party you uh you support, but if we have a a terrible governor, uh what can the governor do in a year? A lot. Um, mm-hmm. Even if after that year the the governor were to resign, or in our case the board of regents were just to decide you're no longer going to continue as president, uh, but the president impacts what happens with the University of Minnesota, thereby impacting what happens with the state. So it's it's a very large downside to it. Now, flip side of that, I, again, why all these folks came out? So I assume they're sort of like the the folks who already maybe get why they should care about this. But if, you know, later on tonight they're talking to somebody or later this week and they're like, what did you do the night before the, the big election? And they're like, I went to a conversation on the next <laughs> University of Minnesota president. And they're like, why? Uh, what, I mean, help us sort of, like, why should we care? Why do regular folks care and why should they? I'll let, I'll let Regional Mari have the closing comment, but I'll tell you how I would start it. Why should you care? Start looking for the Block M. You know, we talk about how we're the Coca-Cola of Minnesota. We don't have to show the Block M, the University of Minnesota M, to people and say, what do you think this is? People know. I was at the State Fair, not this past year, but the previous year, and uh, doing an interview with Minnesota Public Radio. And the question was, you know, do people really care about the University of Minnesota? And I felt confident enough with the reporter where I said, I'll bet my house mortgage that in the next 60 seconds I will see 10 people wearing either a Block M hat, T-shirt, sweatshirt. It's Minnesota. It's who we are. It's a huge part of the state. And Minnesota without the University of Minnesota would be a very, very different state. You could clap for that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll I'll add maybe two things. One is uh, people care about the University of Minnesota, but they don't realize that they care. Right, And so like he was talking about, they go to the doctor's office, but they're not associating that with the mm-hmm. University of Minnesota uh, because we touch everyone in the state. The last thing uh, uh, that I'll say is the University of Minnesota is an international institution. Uh, and, and I can tell from, from chairing this search that people want to be here and they recognize how great the university is. However, there are a lot more people who don't realize how great the University of Minnesota is. And so we're at a cusp. We're at a tipping point. Where um, right now, if we can get a president who's visionary, bold, and can inspire, we will go over that tipping point so that the Block M will be recognized beyond the state of Minnesota and across the world as a leader uh, in higher education, innovation, research, and ultimately uh, saving lives. On that incredibly inspiring note, can we do a tremendous round of applause? Matt Kramer, Regent Omari, please. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This show was recorded live at the Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. If you'd like to attend one of our live shows or are interested in working with us on an issue you're passionate about, you can find out more information on our website at www.t2p2.net and on Facebook and Twitter. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend about it. Thanks.